morning, everybody. All right. I want to greet all of you who are watching in our campuses today in Waterbury, New Milford, and in Derby. Also, for those of you who are online today, and of course here in Bethel too. My name is Brian. If you are new, I'm one of the lead pastors here with Pastor Craig and Pastor Adam, and we're just thrilled to be able to come together to worship today, come together to study God's Word, and to hear from Him. We believe that Jesus is alive, so we're not just studying words in a book, uh, we're asking the Lord to speak to us. Good. I'm glad you're with me already. This is, this is going to be an easy one of the day. This is going to be good. This is good. It's Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? The Huskies won. It just feels good. It just feels right. It just feels right. Feels all feels right. I mean, it's the only thing Connecticut has, okay? So we've got to celebrate, right? My beloved whalers left a long time ago and became good in North Carolina, right? But anyway, none of that was on my notes today. So let's get in to what I actually want to talk about before I go too deep down and lose everybody. We are going to start a series today called Jesus Lives. Remember, we've been in this whole theme here where we're really focusing in on the person of Jesus Christ. Um, This is what makes us unique is that we have Jesus in our lives and he lives. We don't serve a Jesus who is dead. We serve a Jesus who rose from the dead. We have a Jesus who lives, who walks with us, who speaks to us, who molds and shapes us each and every day and every hour of our lives. This is the beauty of of being a Christ follower is that we follow Christ (laughs) and Jesus he lives and today um, I'm entitling this sermon a triumphant entry with a question mark was it really a triumphant entry and if it was why we're gonna be looking at two passages uh, Matthew chapter 16 and then also Matthew 21 which is the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem But let me start with this. When I was younger, I went to a friend's house and they had one of those magic eye posters. Do you remember these magic eye posters? And if you looked at them in the right way, a picture emerged. And I remember going to my friends, they said, what do you see? I said, I see a blob of colors. That's what I see. I see a bunch of squiggly lines. And my friend said, no, 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 look again. I said, okay, I looked again. Now what do you see? I see a blob of colors. Lines, just squiggly lines. What are you trying to get me to see here? No, no, no. Look again. And then, no joke, one of my other friends came right behind me, just came into the room, was like, oh, look, a cat. I'm like, what do you mean? Somehow they saw it right away. But if, if you focused your eye in a particular way on these magic eye posters, an image would emerge. My friend just kept saying, look again, look again. You've got to look differently. Look again. You're looking right now, aren't you? You're trying to find it. I don't know if you will. I don't even know if that's a magic eye, to be honest with you. So joke's on you, okay? I'm just going to keep that up the whole sermon. You keep working on it. I'll do my thing. You do your thing, okay? Let's take it down, actually. Look again. Look again. You know, the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem is a look again story. Look again. Look again. The disciples, Peter included, didn't see it the right way. Look again. I sense that today is a look again day for us as a church. 
maybe you're tuning in, maybe it's even six months from me actually saying these words, but I believe it's a look again day, that the Lord might give us a proper perspective on what he's doing in our lives, a proper perspective on who he is, but it's going to take us looking again. This story in in Matthew chapter 21 of of Jesus' triumphant entry, it's about a great entrance. Now, I was thinking about other great entrances that that happen in our world. And uh, I thought about the great closing pitcher, Mariano Rivera. Now, listen, I'm a Red Sox fan, so this is an olive branch right now, okay? Whenever he would come out, he'd come out to the song, does anybody know? Enter Sandman, a great entrance. I think of when I was younger, I used to to watch WWF, it's now WWE, and I remember the great wrestler Coco Beware coming out. Does anybody remember this guy come out with his big bird suit? That's probably why I'm afraid of birds to this day. I think we just landed on it. It's taken me all these years to figure it out, but there, there it is. I remember the uh, 27th Super Bowl, and Michael Jackson did the halftime show, and he popped up on top of the stadium, way over here, and then, he, and then he disappeared, and then all of a sudden, just seconds later, he popped up over here, and then just seconds later, he popped up right in the center of the stage. It was a pretty great entrance. Maybe you stayed up all night to watch those royal weddings. I missed them, but maybe you stayed up. And you saw these amazing entrances as people came in. If you ever watched the New Zealand national rugby team, you would see them perform what's called the haka. Go look it up. It's an incredible entrance. It would send fear into any opponent. Amazing entrances. But there's one famous entrance that's more famous than them all. And that's when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's called the triumphant entrance. Wouldn't you like to enter a room and later people say, that was triumphant. (laughs) It was a triumphant entrance. Or was it? And if it was, why was it a triumphant entrance? You have to look at it the right way. Look again. Look again and you're going to see how triumphant this entrance was. Let's go through a few passages here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Again, if you, if you have the word open there with me um, on an app, however you want to do that. Um, and let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 16. And I want to share three things in this passage that Jesus does that actually leads up to his moment in Matthew 21, which is where Jesus rides in to Jerusalem. But Matthew 16 begins this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem. And in Matthew 16, about halfway through that chapter, it talks about some things that Jesus found necessary for him to do. I love that language. It says that Jesus, he found it necessary. There's these necessary things that he had to do. And we're going to get that to a moment, in a moment. But first, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asks a very important question. This is the first thing I want to talk about. This very important question that Jesus asks. 
He, he asks one question before this most important question. He's walking with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and they're, they're walking along, and Jesus kind of pauses, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples had lots of different answers. That was, they, they knew what people were talking about. They knew what they were calling Jesus. And so, wow, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Some people are saying you're Elijah, the, the prophet. Uh, some people are saying that you're other prophets, maybe like Jeremiah. This is the word on the street. This is what people are saying about you, Jesus. But here's the most important question that Jesus asks. And he turns it and he says, well, who do you say that I am. Friends, this is a question that we all have to answer today. Who is this Jesus? Is he just a great teacher? If he's just a great teacher, then when you need his teaching, you'll go to it and search for something. Is he just a good person? Well, if he's just a good person, then you'll do your best to live like him. Or like Peter, as he answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. For Peter, in this moment, he was speaking out the identity of Jesus. You are God. You are Lord. So who do you say that he is? Is he just a great man? Just a great teacher? Or have you made him the Lord of your life? When you make him the Lord of your life, what you're saying is, you have rulership over it all. You reign over it all. You determine my direction. You determine what I do with what you've given me. You define who I am. I'm looking to you as the Lord of my life. Not just the boss, not just the friend, the Lord of my life. And so Jesus, he asked this very important question. And I like how he asked this question before moving on to this next portion of chapter 16, which is really about his mission, his ways. And so what Jesus is saying, I, I want you to tell me, I want you to understand, I want you to, to get this through your head of who I am before I tell you what I'm going to do. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, I want you to get a grasp of my identity before we talk about my personality. My identity, this is who I am. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of the living God. Now let's talk about my personality, how I'm going to live that out. And so now what Jesus does next in this passage is he expresses and he describes his mission, his personality, the how he was going to be Messiah. And this is where Jesus, in, in, in our passage, it says that there were things necessary for Jesus to do. Five things. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, to go to the, to the center of faith, if you will, at this point. The, the center where everyone would go, where the temple was, where the presence of God was. It was necessary for Jesus to go right into the heart of the movement of faith for the Jewish people. Second, it was necessary for him to suffer many terrible things. When I look at this, I don't just see the whippings. I don't just see the, the crown of thorns. 
I don't just see the piercing in the side. When I see this, the suffering of many terrible things, I see the weight of our sin on Jesus' back. I see the separation from Jesus and his Father as he takes on our sin. This is what true suffering is, to be separated from God. Third thing that was necessary was that he would suffer at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. Sometimes we read over that real fast. I I sometimes like to read over that real fast because I don't want to believe it. How could the, the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religion be the ones that would bring Jesus to his death? But this was necessary. And here, as I thought about this, this is, this is necessary. It was necessary for this to take place. Why? Well, because Jesus was doing things differently. And whenever you do something differently, for those who are so tied to tradition, they don't like it. And, and Jesus had to do things differently. He was ushering in a brand new kingdom. He was ushering in a whole new way of being in the presence of God, of living. And therefore, it was necessary that the people who were doing things a different way were going to get upset by that. It was necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to do things differently. Read through the gospel accounts again and see how often people would get upset with Jesus. And who would get upset with Jesus? Who would get upset with Jesus? The Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day because he was doing things He was breaking all the social norms. Stop it. It's just easier to live life the way we've always lived life. Stop it, Jesus. But he had to do things differently because his kingdom was going to be entirely different. It was necessary for Jesus to be killed. It was necessary for a final sacrifice. There always has to be a last one, and Jesus was going to be the last one. There's no sacrifice greater. There's no additional sacrifice needed. He's made it. It is finished. And fifth, it was necessary for him to rise from the dead. It was necessary for him to defeat death for us. I think the first four things that were necessary for Jesus drowned out the fifth one. (laughs) I'm not quite sure the disciples and those he was teaching about what he would have to do as he went into Jerusalem if they heard that fifth one. The, The first four were just too out of the box. Go to Jerusalem, suffer many terrible things. Wait, why are you suffering? You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're going to be the ruler. You're going to sit on a throne and suffer at the hands of the elders and the Leading priests and the religious leaders and scholars of the day, this can't be. You're going to be killed? (laughs) I imagine by the time Jesus got to, oh, three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. They just weren't even hearing it. You've already blown my whole perspective, my whole roadmap. You've crushed. But these were the things that were necessary for Jesus to do. 
The third thing that Jesus does in Matthew 16 is that he corrects some misunderstanding. I love Peter. I think we often give him too hard of a time because I'm Peter and you're Peter too. But Peter looks at this and he hears these things that are necessary for Jesus to do and he decides, I'm going to take Jesus aside and tell him that this can't happen. Let me just get some alone time with Jesus. Guys, don't worry. I'll take him aside. I'll take Jesus aside. I'll sort him out. I'll bring him back to us and he'll, he'll know his marching orders again. How proud of a thought of, is this? Let me just take Jesus, the one who I said is the Messiah, the, the son of the living God, and tell him this can't happen. <laughs> this can't happen. This can't happen. If you want to see something happen, tell Jesus it can't happen. It can't happen. This can't happen. And Jesus has some harsh and strong words <laughs> to Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. Peter, he was unable to see what God was doing because he had the wrong lenses on. He was unable to see what, what Jesus was doing here because he had a different blueprint and it didn't match the one Jesus just described. And so then Jesus says these words. He says, you're looking and you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. You know, there was one thing that Jesus talked about more than any other thing. Read through the Gospels, you'll see this. There's one thing Jesus talked about more than any other thing, and that was the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again. This was one of the most important things to Jesus, is that his disciples, that you and I would understand his kingdom. So many times, all the parables are about the kingdom of God. All of them. His teachings are about the kingdom of God, how to live in the kingdom of God, who the king is, and who we are as people in his kingdom. This is what he's teaching us. This is his perspective. This is what he wants us to know. In fact, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. This is what we're called to, to seek. Peter was so upset because he had a kingdom mindset that was a kingdom of this world. And he was trying to place it upon his Messiah. And when Jesus says, no, 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 this is how it's going to work, it didn't match up. And so now Peter is, is anxious about this. He's fearful about this. He thinks Jesus might even be missing it. What's happening here? His world is beginning to fall apart. He states correctly that Jesus was the Messiah. He got his identity right but he failed on his personality. He got his who Jesus was right, but how he was going to be Jesus, he just couldn't see it. I wonder if this is true of us as well. I don't even wonder. It is true of us as well. We're Peter so often. We're happy to say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are Lord. But so often, we resist his ways. Jesus, you are Lord. I can't forgive them. Didn't you see what they did? Jesus, you are Lord. I can't give that up. What if it's not replaced? Jesus, you are Lord. 
I'm quite comfortable right here. Can't you find somebody else? I asked that one, by the way. <laughs> Jesus, you are Lord. You are Lord. But then we resist his ways. His ways of humility. His ways of sacrifice. His ways of grace. His ways of generosity. Extreme. His ways of love. You know, this passage for me reminds me that we often need a perspective change. We can so easily become spiritually blind and what I call kingdom illiterate. And we need to look again. Look again. Beck and I and Craig and Amy recently went to the Elam conference, which is one of our global partners, works in Iran. And they do an amazing job. They bring different Iranians in to share their testimonies. And uh, I remember this was a moment where Beck and I, as, as you all know, we were just discerning where the Lord was calling us. And we're like, man, wow, we're going to have to give up a lot if the Lord calls us. And we're going through this. Oh, man, it's going to be so challenging. And then we hear these stories of these Iranians giving their lives to Jesus death threats on their lives, having to abandon their families, their country, leaving everything, their schooling, their education, but knowing for a fact that Jesus is alive, so they do it. And they're talking to us, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it was a really nice perspective moment for us. Wow, perspective. I think this passage reminds me that we often need a perspective change. We need to look again. Peter needed a perspective change. He needed new lenses. He saw Jesus going into Jerusalem to become a king. He saw Jesus dethroning the rulers of the day. He saw Jesus freeing the Jewish people from their hardships. And when you hear those things, actually, Peter was close, but he was thinking way too small. You see, in a real perspective, if you look at it from God's point of view, Jesus wasn't going to become a king. He was already the king. He was going into Jerusalem as the king, not to become a king. He was going to dethrone. He was going to dethrone the evil one, the one who is our true enemy. He was going in to conquer death. You see, Peter had a small picture of what the Messiah was going to do. But Jesus had a much bigger picture of what he wanted to do for his kingdom. A much larger mission in mind and also a much different way of achieving it. Let's look at the triumphant entry. Let's ask ourselves, how can we look at it from God's point of view? How can we look at his triumphant entry in a new way. Let's look again. Jesus rides into Jerusalem humbly on the back of a donkey. People are crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means please save us. On his way to the cross, he rides in. He rides in to suffer at the hands of the religious. He rides in to, to go to the cross to to die a sinner's death. But then three days later, he rises from the dead. Why is this a triumphant entry? 
Why, if we could put ourselves there, would we be cheering for Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem? Why would there be a a bit of celebration on our hearts? Here's why. Because when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was riding in to defeat our enemy. He was riding in not just for a group of people, but for all people. Praise God, a bigger mission in mind. He was riding in to overcome death. That actually in Jesus and through Jesus, we too will pass through death into eternal life. It's a triumphant entry. It's the greatest entry of all times that Jesus, God himself, would humble himself, pay this price that we might live. Let's return back to Matthew 16, verse 23. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. That, that, that passage just jumped out to me as I was studying this and preparing this because I think it's so relevant for us today. You're looking at things, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's so easy for us, friends. Don't beat yourself up over this. It's easy for us to fall into this kind of thinking, thinking from a human point of view. But let me tell you just two things about a human point of view. A human point of view is limited. Limited. We only can see one strand of thread that makes up the whole tapestry. And we can't even see it that well often. We can't see all the ways God is using other people and circumstances and situations A human point of view is so limited to to one person, one individual's sight lines. It's limited. It's limited to our experiences oftentimes too. Well, this is how things happen. This is how things happen to me. And we put that through our mindset. Our, Our view becomes the view of what's happened in the past. We're not able to break out of that because we've never seen it happen any other way for us. It's limited It's limited. A human point of view is limited in power, too. Because we look at things and we see things in terms of what we're able to accomplish in our strength. And so now we're looking at it from a human point of view. Well, I can't can't achieve that, or I, I can't find reconciliation in that relationship. I can't do that. We can't do this. We can't, this can't happen. Well, you're right. From your human point of view, It probably can't. But praise God that we have the spirit of Christ Jesus that lives within us. We have a God that that walks with his people. And God is able. God can. A human point of view is limited. Secondly, a human point of view is often selfish. Selfish. Listen, I don't want to call you selfish. But I'm selfish. And you're a lot like me. (laughs) People can be selfish. And when you look through human point of view, human lenses, usually we're asking the question, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? When a kingdom perspective is more, how can I bless you? How can I bring the light and love and mercy and grace of Jesus to others? How can I love God and love my neighbor as myself? 
but a human point of view is limited. I, I, wanna, I want God's point of view in my life. That's what I want. I want God's point of view. I, I want lenses on where I can see the Lord moving. I don't, I don't want to miss it. As often as possible, I don't want to miss God moving. So how do we begin to see things from God's point of view? Let me just share three things with you. If we want to see things from God's point of view, we need to be people of prayer. And not just, you know, the emoji prayer, but real prayer. We spend time with Jesus. If we want God's point of view, if we want God's perspective on different situations and circumstances in our life, if we want to see others in the way God sees them, we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to be prayerful about things. Lord, give me your heart for this person. Lord, open my eyes to see what you're doing right now. Lord, open my eyes so I can see the errors of my own ways. Through prayer, the Lord gives us his perspective. Secondly, practice. We begin to see from God's point of view when we practice the principles that he's taught us. We are not walking through this life blinded. blinded. We've been taught through his word on how to live. Let me give you just a couple examples. When we look at a situation through the lenses of the principle of forgiveness, we begin to see from God's point of view. He's taught us this principle. Forgive one another. How many times, Lord? Seven? That sounds like a good number. No, no, no. Way more than that. Way more than that. Every time. This is the lens that you are to look through. When we begin to look through the lens of forgiveness, now we're looking through God's point of view. Same when it comes to love. Love one another. Even your enemies, even your enemies. It's a principle. Jesus taught us this. So when we begin to practice this, now we are looking through the lenses of God. We're looking through God's point of view. Third and finally, how do we begin to see things from God's point of view? Through partnership. Sometimes we need the counsel of others to see from God's point of view. I know I have people in my life uh, who are intentional mentors and friends that I walk with. And oftentimes it's through them. They say, hey, Brian, you're not seeing this the right way. You're not seeing uh, who God thinks you are rightly. You're not seeing this situation correctly. Let me help you see it. And through godly friendships, people you're walking with, you can begin to see from God's point of view. Friends, we are Peter. We often miss what God is doing. We can often miss the ways of Jesus, the move of Jesus. And I don't want to miss it. I want to encourage you to look again. Look again. Some of you are missing it. Some of you are missing it right now. Some of you are, are missing it in your view of yourself. I want you to look again. Some of you have this view of yourself that you're unworthy. Some of you have this view of yourself that you're not good enough. Some of you have this view of yourself that you, you've failed too much, you're a failure. Some of you have a wrong view of yourself, you're missing it. You're not seeing it correctly. I want you to look again. You are a child of God. You are a son, you are a daughter of the king. You were 
were bought on the cross of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You have amazing potential and purpose on this planet. Look again. Some of you are missing it. Some of you are missing it. You're missing it in your view of God. You think that he's upset at you and he hates his people, that he's unable, he, he, he can't. I want you to look again. I want you to look again. I want you to see the grace of God. Look at the cross alone and you're going to see a picture of the character of God. Look again. Look at his mercy. Look at his forgiveness. Look at his power. He's a God who is able. Some of you are missing it. Some of you are missing it in your view of others. Maybe there's someone in your life and you've just, you've typecasted them. You're missing it. I want you to look again. Ask for the Father's heart for this person that might be challenging to you. Some of you are missing it. Your view of your your purpose on this planet, I want you to, to look again. You've been placed here at this time on purpose by an intentional God who created you in the image of his son. You're here on purpose. You have a great mission to introduce the world to Jesus. You have a great purpose. Some of you are missing it. The view you have of a particular situation you're facing right now, the circumstances of your life, you're seeing it one way. The struggle you're going through, you're seeing it one way. Some of you might be missing it. I want you to look again. Ask the Lord to shed light on that situation, that circumstance, that struggle, that relationship. You're looking at it the wrong way. Look again. Friends, my prayer that as we head into this Easter season is that as we look again, that the Lord might give us new lenses to see who we are in him, to see who he is as our wonderful, loving God, that we might have renewed purpose and that in our particular situations, that as we see and we open our eyes, that the Lord might reveal how he's moving, what he's saying, what he's doing there. I pray that you would take this word, these two words, look again, and that you'd apply them directly to your life and allow God to give you the right lenses into your particular situation. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus himself. Amen.